This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there and thank you for downloading Eye on Education from the 22nd of April. On the programme today, we talked about the new GCSE that's going to be added to the curriculum. It's a natural history qualification designed to help pupils learn about protecting the environment. We also asked what would you like to be added to the school syllabus? Plus, we found out about the project that's helping students at charity schools in the United Arab Emirates learn STEM subjects. And we also discussed the global shortage of teachers and how it's affecting the United Arab Emirates. Plus, we found out how dogs are helping pupils learn how to read. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there and welcome back. It is time for us to put the spotlight on schools stories. This is our special Eye on Education segment. And there are several news stories that have broken in the last 24 hours or so, including the announcement that UAE schools can now resume all activities and field trips under the updated COVID-19 rules. Zena joins me in the studio and has more details. Yes, very good news, Georgia. UAE schools can now resume all activities and events as you said, according to the Ministry of Education and, of course, in SEMA or the National Emergency Crisis and Disaster Management Authority, both vaccinated and unvaccinated pupils and staff will be able to take part in field trips provided they have the green status on, on the Al-Hassan app. And parents can also now attend the events, all the activities, if they follow all the Green Pass protocols. And in addition to that, uh, regular COVID-19 tests are still necessary to keep the green status on the Al-Hassan app and monthly tests are still required for children under 16. Good news there, although, of course, all working parents will now feel incredibly guilty. There was a lovely period over a couple of years where you weren't allowed into the schools. And so for, therefore, working parents never felt bad about not attending things like exactly. sports days. Oh, no, we can't I, attend. I, feel bad. I feel bad. I can't go to assemblies. I can't go to rugby matches. I can't go to the Easter bonnet parade. <laughs> it's but, like they're lining them up, you know, more and more opportunities to feel bad about yourself as a parent. But at the same time, there's more flexibility for parents as well, the other day, my husband att- attended our daughter's sports day and her, his boss just said, OK, go. You can miss the meeting. Go to your daughter's sports day and, you know, we c- you can make up for it another time. Do you reckon I can get away with that? No, sorry, you I can't. have to be here. I, <laughs> there has to be a person in that chair. I'm sorry, I can't do the first hour of the show. My son is doing an Easter bonnet parade. <laughs> That will not go down well. That would not go down well. Okay, we're also uh, going to be discussing in part on this program uh, what should children learn at school because a new natural history GCSE will be launched next week focusing on how pupils can protect the planet. Now, that is an awesome headline. Uh, How soon are pupils going to be learning, Z? I love this. Now, there's a bit of a wait uh, as the qualification won't be be available until the September 2025. That's according to the UK's Department of Education. Now, it sounds like a really interesting qualification because the subject will allow pupils to learn about organisms and their environments, as well as environmental and sustainability issues. And the objective, of course, is to gain a deeper knowledge of the natural world around them. I know a lot of our listeners will love this uh, and are all for this. Pupils will also develop skills for future careers and conservation from understanding uh, how to conserve 
conserve local wildlife to conducting uh, the fieldwork ne- field needed to identify species. Yeah, we will be discussing uh, that subject shortly with Dr. John Cox. He's the headmaster of Royal Grammar School Dubai in the United Kingdom. And we want to hear from you. What would you like to add to the syllabus? Uh, get in touch, 4001, uh, or via the ARN Play app, or you can WhatsApp us on 04871 Now, I mentioned this on the Business Breakfast, uh, and we've already got some messages in about it, haven't we? Yes, Garima got in touch and said, uh, practical financial budgeting uh, and investing for everyday life to GCSE. She'd like that added. We spoke of home science, but this is real home economics. Students getting into student loans, etc. We need this. Uh, business studies GCSE does not cover the practical side, and that's key, the practicality of every single thing that we learn. We have to put everything to practice because that's how it is in the real world. Yeah, you might not have heard the show because you were at the, the end of the business breakfast because you were busy editing. But uh, Tom suggested that they do still... I wanted to do home economics, basically. We didn't, it wasn't offered at school because I want to learn how to cook. I don't know how to cook, so I wish I'd had that. My mum didn't know how to cook and then they didn't teach me at school, so I still don't know how to cook, basically. Really? I oh, really don't. Enough, we learned that. Did you? A bit of carpentry, a bit of cooking. We learned how to make ketchup what? in home economics. <laughs> All the key skills. Exactly. (laughs) But Tom said that his, uh, I don't know whether his daughter's doing it or not, whether his children are doing it or not, but he said it's now called food science. Oh, wow. It's not home ec, it's not cooking, it's food science. You learn about nutrition, which makes sense. You know, you can learn about calories in, calories out. It leads towards a potential career. There's loads of people here who are nutritionists. That's amazing. Very, very interesting stuff. What would you like to be added to the syllabus? It doesn't just have to be uh, to a GCSE. What would you like to uh, go, you know, even if you've got an eight-year-old, what would you like them to be learning about? Do get in touch with us. Now, schools, uh, this is our third story, our third headline. Uh, Schools and nurseries are struggling to recruit teachers and nursery school staff both here and abroad and in the UK a manager of a group of nurseries has said it's been incredibly difficult to recruit qualified early years staff Uh, a lady called Laura Andrews from Acorn Early Years said that vacancies in the sector had increased by 45% and just in her area which is just three counties so if you imagine sort of three areas Mm, probably about the size of Dubai, but with fewer people. Um, in, in the counties of Northamptonshire, Milton Keynes and Bedfordshire, they had 701 jobs available. Wow. Now, I mean, that's in the UK. Is that a problem here? It is a problem here. And I've been speaking to Sean Robison of BBD Education. Uh, he's very passionate about this subject. He sets up schools in the UAE. Uh, he operates them and he's also involved in the recruitment process. And he told me that teacher recruitment is also proving to be a big challenge. I mean, it's always been hard to attract talent in the education sphere in this part of the world. But he said part of the problem right now is that teachers are now being poached by schools in their home countries, including the UK. Countries around the world are incentivizing their teachers who work abroad to move back home. Um, And they're doing this because in a lot of countries there is learning loss of students. For example, in the UK, teacher training applications have been down nearly 10% every year for the last five years. Um, And there's been a shortage of teachers and also teachers leaving the industry because of workload pressures. So now uh, countries like the UK and Ireland are incentivizing teachers to move home, uh, which therefore puts greater pressure on schools here in the UAE. 
And you can hear the rest of that interview just after midday uh, when we'll be looking at the problems in teacher recruitment in more detail. And thank you, Fainer, for your message saying I would like to add animal welfare to the school curriculum. Good idea. Really good idea. That is very, very interesting indeed. Uh, Now, this issue of uh, teacher recruitment is a real global problem. And I'm afraid it's not one that looks likely to go away anytime soon. Um, I've been just looking here at the report of a worldwide study by the Organisation for Economic cooperation and development and it says it's found a decline in the number of pupils aged 15 who said they wanted to be teachers education experts say the high cost of training and a lack of incentives is deterring school children from becoming teachers so that is a i mean it's a problem now if those kids don't want to become a teacher, then it's going to be a serious problem in the future. Yeah, that is so sad because it is a very noble profession. And, you know, we're talking about the future of our children's education. Um, but if you don't have enough teachers to to make that happen, that is a real problem. I consider becoming a teacher. I think it's quite similar to being a radio presenter or a journalist. You're imparting information just to a smaller group of people. Yes. I mean, who knows? I presume there's lots of people out there listening now. It could just be a classroom. Sure there are. It's, sure there it's are. the school run. Yeah, it's it's breaking run. down bits of information for people to understand. And that's yeah. exe- essentially what a teacher is. I think it's very similar. It's very similar. Uh, right. In our fourth story, a new high-tech university campus opened this week in Dubai, designed with, get this, smart sensors to ensure it's environmentally friendly. Z has the details. Yes, it is the University of Birmingham in Dubai, and it features a floating library a living laboratory and tens of thousands of sensors to help meet a net zero carbon target by 2035. Uh, The campus is located in the Dubai International Academic City. It covers an area of 30,000 square meters. It's fitted with 23,000 Internet of Things sensors, which can adjust lighting based on occupancy and environmental changes while capturing data, which can be analyzed to ensure that energy is used sustainably. And the campus is also so uh, using analytical technologies, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, decentralized energy storage and uh, renewables. Now, Adam Tickle, he's the vice chancellor at University of Birmingham in Dubai. And he said that the goal was to create the world's smartest campus in partnership with Siemens. Of course, that's the German industrial company. Mr. Tickle. Mr. Tickle. <laughs> His name is Mr. Tickle. You're suppressing is your that, giggle there. Is that not funny? He's Mr. called Mr. Tickle. I, I, okay, I find that funny. Mr. Tickle. It's like, it's like one of those Mr. Men books. Yes, he's Mr. Mr. Tickle. Uh, also, um, <laughs> the only thing that I can think about when they describe 23,000 Internet of Things sensors is just imagine if one goes wrong and you've got to find it. Oh my goodness. I mean, come on. I just honestly, every time I hear these things get more and more tech. For example, my mum had an electric gate put at the end of her road. We live on a farm in Dorset. She lives on a farm in Dorset. So she wanted to have greater security. So she put an electric gate at the end of the road. So she didn't have to get out of her car every day to open the gate and then close it. You can just press a buzzer and then it opens and then it closes behind her. Except then it broke and she couldn't get in. (laughs) Oh, no. She couldn't get in. And all of a sudden, and and then the man who put the gate in wasn't available to mend the gate. So she had to get someone special to come in and mend the gate. So by the end of it, now guess what we have? We have an electric gate that's permanently open because she's too scared to close it again because what if it doesn't open? The irony. Yeah. Don't get an electric gate. Don't get electric things. They're, well, I can't say that, can I? But anyway, just, just suffice to say, sometimes getting more technical is not the best scenario.
No, but I'd like to visit a campus like this. I would. I would. I shouldn't criticize it. It sounds very, very cool indeed. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people. Hello there and welcome back. Now, as we mentioned, a new natural history GCSE will be launched next week, focusing on how pupils can protect the planet. Uh, the qualification will be available from September 2025. The UK's Department for Education said the uh, course would allow pupils to learn about organisms and their environments, as well as environmental and sustainability issues to gain a deeper knowledge of the natural world around them. Now, earlier I spoke to Dr. John Cox. He is headmaster of Royal Grammar School Dubai in the UK. Of course, there is a Royal Grammar School Guildford uh, here in the UAE. Uh, And I asked him whether he thought the new GCSE was a good idea. I think it was introduced because young people wanted it. And I genuinely believe that young people are going to be solving the problems that we've created for them for the future. I think it's a really exciting new qualification. Uh, And I think Young people are going to really welcome the opportunity. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they are already fundamentally interested and invested. If you ask young people what is the most important challenge for the future, you know, inevitably they're going to be talking about climate change, about global warming. You know, I think it was uh, Nadim Zahawi who said yesterday when he introduces, this is the biggest challenge that is facing mankind. And actually, it's the young people that are going to have to face uh, this challenge. And we know that they're very highly aware and very concerned about what we have done and are continuing to do to our planet. And they they want to know more and they want to have that information at their fingertips because they are going to have to influence people uh, in the future because they're going to get knockers and they're going to get doubters. You can only influence people if you are confident in the information you have. And so I think that the government have actually done a good job here in responding to the wishes of young people. So I remember, and I'm 43, I remember learning about global warming at school when I was about, oh my goodness, 12, 11 or 12. And we learned about it in geography. So is this new GCSE needed, do you think? Or was it just previously being taught in geography? Not just geography, I would say biology as well. I mean, I mean, I'm a biology teacher. I can tell you what I've taught in the past. You know, I've taught about pollution. I've talked about global warming. I've, I've talked about the ozone layer. I've talked about deforestation, all these sorts of things. Really, really important. And I know they do that. Likewise, in geography, they talk about green technology, global warming, etc. And they're talking about the, the way that we address the problems uh, for the future. I think the idea is that this actually focuses the mind more because it, you, you gain a much deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge. And I think having a standalone GCSE means that you'll be able to develop the skills that the young people are going to need. I mean, they've said that it's going to involve, you know, many, many disciplines, things like conservation, field work, learning about how humans have impacted the environment. You know, also, it's going to give people the skills to devise strategy, to come up with ways that they personally 
can make a difference to climate change and, and also influence the global debate because giving young people that information will give them the confidence. Listen, we don't know about the specification yet. And I think that's quite exciting as well because we've, we've got a blank screen here. You can write whatever you like on it. And obviously the government are going to ask the advice of the many experts there are in the field. They'll utilise the experience and skills of, of the exam boards because, you know, the exam boards have, have introduced a number of new GS, GCSEs in the past mainly, I would say, as a result of demand. And so they've been here before. But it's an exciting time. So do you think that 12 and 13 year olds now will be calling for it to be available to them as soon as September? Will you be offering it to students as quickly as that, do you think? I don't think so. I think they'd love it if we could. But actually, I mean, you have to go through the process. To actually introduce a new GCSE subject is not an easy process to do. And it has to be done right, because the last thing you want is to rush it, get it wrong, and then have to redo, because that doesn't do anyone any favours, particularly not the young people who want to learn about this. So they're going to have to be patient. So what's so interesting, I think, is that now that the doors have been opened, that new GCSEs can be introduced, it gets everybody thinking of what other GC, what other subjects should be brought in, what other GCSEs should be added? But that's been happening for a long time, actually. I mean, when you consider, you know, when I was at school a long time ago, you know, there was nothing to do with computers and computer science. And look how important and mainstream that is now. And that was as a result of the demand of pupils, of parents, of future employers who want young people with with technological skills. And now here we are teaching computer science and coding and preparing young people for the future. And it's just a normal subject now. And I think that will be the same for natural history. And all educational uh, national curricula, I mean, they all, all have an educational core that we all think is important for young people to learn. But, you know, that national curriculum should re- also reflect the challenges of, of the future and, you know, should aim to prepare young people for, for their lives ahead. And, and that is, I think, uh, an important facet of teaching young people. We need to be flexible in the way we teach them and we need to prepare them for the lives in 20, 30 years time that none of us have any ideas what's out there. We always say that we are teaching young people skills and, and for the jobs that don't exist yet. And that's very true. That is Dr John Cox. He's headmaster of the Royal Grammar School Guildford in the UK. Of course, they do also have a sister school here. Now, it does raise lots and lots of questions because what would you like to be added to the syllabus? Do you think there should be other GCSEs that currently don't exist? Do get in touch with us. Uh, You can do via text on 4001. Of course, you can download and use that free ARN Play app uh, or you can WhatsApp or call us on 048711. Five double zero. What would you like to be added to the school curriculum? Thank you very much indeed, Finn, for your messages, uh, suggesting that you would like animal welfare to be added to the curriculum, uh, which is a very, very interesting subject. I mean, if you think about it, uh, in some ways, there's so much going on in the digital universe with things like cryptocurrencies and NFTs. Uh, I wonder whether those are the types of skills that people are going to need uh, in the future. How about social skills? Finn's also suggested that table 
table manners could be uh, something that could be added to the curriculum. But what if you actually made it slightly wider? Because, I mean, table manners are basically a social skill. And everyone says that, you know, in, in, in Industry 4.0, when it's all going to be about machine learning and artificial intelligence, it will be our human skills that will be more important in the in the workplace. Yes, and we need to hone those. And, of course, business etiquette as well. You know, we're training people to... Uh, enter the professional world just after university and some of them you know feel awkward writing that first email or having that first meeting and it's just about gaining the confidence and knowing what to do around all these experienced business professionals how about emergency medical training do you think that i think that should be part of the syllabus you know um first aid Mm. Uh, and then another one, sustainable living. I mean, that's probably part of the natural history uh, GCSE, but sustainable living is going to be a key. I mean, it's literally going to be a key factor going forward. There will be, I mean, there already are. There are sustainable living consultants earning a very decent salary right here in the UAE. That's true. Maybe that, maybe it ought to be a GCSE. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom, now accepting applications from FS1 to Year 7. Hello there. Welcome back. Uh, we are in the midst of our Eye on Education special segment, and we're discussing the fact that a new natural history GCSE is going to be launched next week, focusing on how pupils can protect the planet. It won't be available until 2025, though. So I'm guessing that means it's going to be available for 10-year-olds now. So by the time they get to GCSE and studying their GCSEs in about three years, uh, that means my son could take it. That means my son could be the first year to be taking that GCSE. Uh, What do you think about it? Uh, What other subjects do you think ought to be added to the curriculum, if any? Now, we've been asking pupils at the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, about what they think. Hello, I'm Dia. I'm in Year 6, and I'd like to add interior design to the curriculum. Hello, my name is Max and I'm in year six. I would like to add architecture to the curriculum. Hello, my name is Alitia and I'm in year six and I would like to add astronomy to the curriculum. My name is George. I'm in year five um, and I would like to add engineering to the curriculum. Really good ideas there from the kids at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. I particularly like the astronomy one. Obviously, I'm totally into space. Uh, and I can imagine uh, Hassan Hariri uh, from the C, he's the CEO of the Dubai Astronomy Group. Uh, he almost, he looks like a professor now. He would be a great teacher uh, to go into schools. Uh, now, Amon Sabawi is a former business and economics teacher. He now works in the education sphere as part of a government agency helping to improve education for Emirati students students. He likes the idea of adding a new natural history GCSE and thinks that more relevant subjects should be added. I'm very much so with adding natural sciences as an option for GCSE. The world is changing and we need to update the curriculum so that students are more prepared for this newer world and and the demands that they're going to enter. I think my only argument would be is that I'd like to see more mandatory instead of subject options at later stages. So even earlier, um, introduce some of these concepts. I love what the UAE did, where I think in 2016, every university student has to take an entrepreneurship and innovation class, regardless of their major. And that's great exposure. They had that foresight to know that these are the types of skills and soft skills that are going to be more important in the future. So I want to see that in like, you know, grade one, two, three, four. Uh, not just the token enterprise day kind of thing. I want them to properly take courses in innovation, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and then help improve the world in the future. 
So many people are getting in touch. Thank you, Nadia, for your messages. Uh, you've suggested daily money management and investing, uh, innovative teaching techniques, uh, not as a GCSE, but since the world is so much more digital, maybe we need to go back to basics on how to sew and cook and basic building skills where you actually use your hands and get a little bit dirty. Uh, also, independent thinking uh, and maybe sports management. All fantastic suggestions there from Nadia. I have to say, I was taught how to cook at school. Um, my mum wasn't a very good cook. She doesn't live in this country, so I can say that without risk of never being served a meal at home ever again. Um, but frankly, I just don't know how to do it. I feel, do you know, I think I mention it about three times a day. I definitely feel that therefore my children are actually missing out on having a food culture at home. And I think it's so important, not because I want them to eat loads, but because I want them to learn the joy in preparing a meal and and also therefore learning the value of a meal. And therefore, I think they're less likely to sort of stuff themselves with hamburgers uh, if you know how to do it at home. Plus, they're both boys. And ultimately, if a guy can cook, he's just more marryable, isn't he? A guy can cook. They're really special. There aren't enough of them. Guys, if you're out there and you want to literally, if you're not married and you're looking to attract a female, just learn how to cook. It's an absolute blessing. Um, Right. uh, Nadia points out that uh, through learning cooking, you can also open a child's eye to a trade. Of course, if you learn how to cook, you could go on to work in a kitchen. Uh, You could go on to be a top chef. Uh, So many people have really, you know, it's amazing what gets people texting in because I've never had so many texts as on this subject. Uh, Felice says, environmental science would be a great GCSE. Uh, Also mentions financial management there. And do you know, this is how prescient we are on this show. A few weeks ago on the show, I was joined by Marilyn Pinto. Now, she uh, advocates for children to be taught about financial literacy. Uh, and she said that children just aren't learning how to manage their money. One of the big reasons we're not dealing with it properly is because we think there are three hot tips that I can just do. And so one of the first things to realize is that this is a deeper problem, a much bigger problem than, than, we, care to, uh, than we care to admit. And, and it's like an onion. Every time you think that that's the problem, there's a deeper layer which has which is even going to make you cry even more. Uh, so there are, you know, there's a, there's a lack of resources, there's a lack of expertise, there's a lack of budget. How about if I tell you that, you know, what is the number one skill that most parents wish that they had learned that when they were younger? It's going to be money. What's the number leading cause of, uh, you know, uh, arguments, uh, um, divorces, relationship breakups, family feuds? Again, it's money. What is the one thing everybody wishes they had learned? And yet, we're not teaching this in school. So probably they don't realize how important that is or they're not thinking about it because as parents, we know we have a hundred things that we are that we are worried about. And that may not be an immediate concern, but that does not mean that it is important. Douglas has also got in touch on uh, 4001 saying, in terms of the curriculum, I think money management and budgeting is a key life skill that all teenagers can learn. So lots of votes coming in for financial management. Uh, We've also got uh, Adil here says, etiquette and courtesy in public settings. Adults today just don't even know how a line works. I could say that on the roads as well. Oh, maybe that's a a possible course we could add, certainly for the 
UAE. Uh, road management or road safety. Uh, that, would, that would really help. Um, lawyer Lumilla, Ludmilla Yamalava's got in touch with us. Uh, she is, of course, uh, the owner of Yamalava and Plethka. Uh, she says teaching people about the UAE law would be very useful. It'd be great to see on the school syllabus uh, something about the UAE legal system and in particular some high level overview of the legal framework in the UAE, for example, describing how the lawmaking happens, how the drafting of the laws takes place, the types of courts that exist in different emirates and within each emirate, and the different laws, uh, civil, criminal, commercial, the overall procedural nuances, such as, for example, most um, uh, local courts uh, deal in Arabic. Arabic is the official language. Uh, so that, I think, would be highly valuable and, um, and helpful to um, the school students. Uh, they are quite curious these days, and they do actually want to uh, know the many different uh, legal aspects of uh, living and working in the UAE. I'm enjoying some of the messages that are coming through. Uh, Mustafa has just said that the saying goes that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Mustafa, we live in an equal opportunities world nowadays. Definitely the way to a woman's heart is through her stomach as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for that one. Uh, keeping, keeping the topic on the amazing messages that people are suggesting uh, that what thing, things that they want, I'm completely thrown there, things that people would like to be added to the school curriculum. Mum Sh- uh, Santa has got in touch. Uh, she wants a subject on health and wellness. I know that uh, we have PE in school already, but I think our youth need to get involved in something that would give them a better understanding of personal health, eating habits, and especially vaping. I see so many uh, youngsters and teenagers today getting involved in vaping, so something that would uh, give them an in-depth understanding of how it would affect them later on in life and the repercussions of starting so early would be really good for our youth. Okay, so how about uh, GCSE in relationship values or mindfulness, maybe a psychology GCSE? Uh, But I quite like the ones that focus on teaching children how to manage their own emotions. I think that maybe... I don't know. I mean, it definitely wasn't something that would have worked at my school about 20 years ago or 25 years ago. I think everyone would have laughed you out of the room. But things have changed here now. And there's lots of people uh, suggesting mindfulness as a possible GCSE. Uh, we've also had uh, people get in touch with us. One organization uh, called the Overlord Academy have got in touch with their suggestions uh, for subjects that they think should be added to the syllabus. Have a listen to this. What we do is we're all a, a bunch of... Um ex-UK military uh, armed forces instructors and we do things that are about creating resilience and robustness and grit and determination and things like that that we feel at the moment is lacking in the school syllabus. It's all about life skills, it's all about having the willingness to um, and resilience to push through boundaries and accept failure um, and, and, and almost see failure as a a big part of what life is all about and too many children these days are not in that mindset and what we're trying to achieve with the overlord academy is to create that robustness and that training and that ability to see that challenges in life are normal and that being perfect is definitely not what we all are about 
and that we have to accept that there will be bumps in the road and that life is going to be a journey of of exciting um, challenges a journey that you know they can put themselves in situations where they they will need some grit but they can achieve um, things in life that will not be served to them on a plate and i suppose what we're trying to do is almost break um, and burst the bubble that a lot of families are worried about with their kids living and growing up in Dubai. And so our team of, you know, ex-military instructors have created a really great youth development club where kids come together and have a lot of fun and go and do things like camping trips and using different life skills such as first aid and, and leadership skills and pushing their boundaries by, but, you know, in, in an environment which is safe to do so. And that is uh, Monty, who is in charge of the Overlord Academy, suggesting uh, that maybe a little bit of um, gritty, gritty sort of activities need to be added to the syllabus. We've got two people on the line ready to give their opinions on this question. First of all, Nadia, thank you for joining us on the line. Now, you are a professional educator, aren't you? Um, I have a company that we do languages, alternative offering of languages, meaning through play, through, in, through activity. And, we do an, and I do an innovation program for um, North Anglia, my children's school. That sounds amazing. And Nadia, tell me what subjects you think you sh- would like to be added to the school syllabus. Uh, money, definitely money. That's something that I think many, you've gotten a lot of messages about it, just how to manage money. Uh, children are clueless. I was clueless till I went to university. I still didn't understand it. And I think it's such an important subject for um, children to learn from a younger, for pupils to learn from a younger age. I'm not talking IGCSEs only. I'm talking about primary, starting in primary, how to manage a project from beginning to end. So money is an important one. Good stuff. Uh, and I've got time for one more. <laughs> okay. For one, well, I just think it's, it's, we, need to look at, we need to look at education differently now. We need to show students what's out there. And I think when we look at only the big topics, engineering, architecture, um, pilot, we're not looking at all the other jobs that are included in, in these big subjects. So I think it's really important to have more project management. You know, how do we run a project from beginning to end? How do we open the eyes of students to see that there's so many things they could be doing, um, which I think would ease their pressure of having to choose one subject. Fantastic, that Nadia. Yeah, that was, <laughs> you're amazing. Literally, talk, like I say, so many of my guests now can talk to time. I really appreciate it. If only yes, Milani no in the control room is like, if only you could do it as well. Uh, Mustafa also joins us on the line. Hi, Mustafa, how are you? Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, it's great to have you join us. What would you like added to the school curriculum? Tech, tech in the today's world is good, but then I have my kids. They don't go for sports. I need sports. I need activities. I need football fields. I need cricket grounds in schools. They, they don't promote that. During COVID, they, they stopped everything. My kid is five. You know, he, he was supposed to start playing outside and then COVID hit, everything goes zero. Now, the nearest he goes to sports is TV. He can only only uh, talk about sports, what is happening in TV. He sees cricket, he talks about cricket. He sees football, he talks about football. He doesn't play football. He doesn't play cricket. We, we, we come from an Indian family. We in, in Cricket is like, uh, you know, everybody knows how to play cricket. Yeah, I totally, 
Sorry, carry on, sir. Yeah, yeah. Here, it's there is no, you know, there there are schools which have fields, but they are closed. They are like we cannot do anything. The government uh, rules right now. We still we cannot uh, make them uh, go out and play. I I hope they uh, ease out on those restrictions, and you know let the kids be kids. You know I I understand finance and everything should come in earlier ages, but then you know uh, physical fitness, a uh, sports activity is also very important. I couldn't agree more. As a mum of two very active young lads, if they uh, didn't have their extra sports activities, I don't know where we would be. Uh, and I'm very discouraged to hear that the pitches are still closed uh, at, at some of the schools. Uh, obviously, all the COVID regulations now are supposed to have ceased. So I do hope that if uh, schools are still keeping their sports facilities closed, that they do indeed open them up very soon. And Mustafa, thank you so much for your comments. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on the line. Uh, the same for Nadia, who joined us just a few minutes. To go. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back. Now, many of you may not know this, but there are actually charity schools here in the United Arab Emirates where children from low-income families can enrol for a minimal fee. And there are companies helping these children to ensure they enjoy the same level of education as the rest of the country's students. And one of them is a company called Takif. And I'm joined now on the line by the CEO and chairman of the company, uh, Tariq al Gusim, who is joining us, sorry, Gusain, who is joining us on Microsoft Teams. Hi, sorry, Tarek. Not at all. Hi, Georgia. Hello. Uh, pleasure to be on the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us. That's me trying to read the script and put up the fader at the same time. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I spilled my water and everything. Oh, good. We're both <laughs> first, being clumsy. First radio interview. We're both um, battling clumsy. Let me tell you something more. Um, actually, we stumbled across the charity schools also by coincidence. We had our own CSR program and we were trying to um, promote sustainability and uh, as because we are in the, in the air conditioning field and we are an energy solutions provider. And somebody told us, you know, um, found out that we were donating air conditioners. They said, you know, they have charity schools in, in Dubai. Um, we had called, by the way, Dubai Cares, and they weren't interested in these air conditioners. Um, so we, that was a charitable donation. We went in, we, we gave these air conditioners. I met the headmaster who wanted to thank me. I met some teachers. And um, the, one of the music teachers, she stood out, um, because um, she said to me, thank you for the new air conditioners. The noise is much lower. I, I don't have to, you know, shout. And my vo- vocal cords are much better. And the students can actually hear the music. Amazing. Um, those teachers were very dedicated, um, hardworking. So were the students. And it was really, really impressive. And, um, but obviously the resources were, were very minor. So we decided to shift our IMATIC program and focus more on, on the less privileged schools. I mean, because obviously... Um, their, um, all their material is, is for the basic education. Um, and um, uh, if you want to introduce STEM, I think STEM, um, to make STEM interesting, I think it needs a little bit of money behind that and the less privileged schools don't have those equipment. So, so there you go. That's the history. This is uh, amazing. So this is, so it's called iMatter, this program that you run, and it's a, it's a STEM education program. So that is, oh, I'm always useless at this. Uh, it's yeah. math, tech, science, science, technology, engineering, and math. Perfect. And yes. you and you introduce this education program into the charity schools here in the UAE. And uh, but what does it fundamentally teach them? You know, how are they learning, and, and what are they learning about? 
Well, well, let me tell you, we've introduced it to the charity schools to start with, and now we've expanded into into other private schools as well that are also, you know, not as well uh, uh, privileged as, 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 say, the children that go to my, uh, my children's school, which is Jess. Um, so how we've introduced it, we came up with, a, we conceptualized it, and we worked with um, uh, a team of talented partners, um, educational specialists to come up with the program. Um, you know, we didn't want to just um, write a check for our CSR. We want to do something that sort of um, manages or matches our values. Um, so we, um, we've, you know, we focused on the topics that are um, relevant also on the UE agenda because, you know, the UE had a mission to Mars and so on, and their agenda is also to, to um, promote STEM. Mm. In fact, our first program was called uh, Mission to Mars, and I attended that. We, we prepared the educational um, program, the, the, the contents, and our, our, our employees were trained and um, sent out to teach it. Um, with support from Action Cares, it's a um, it's a body that sort of um, helps um, prepare educational. Uh, um, sorry, um, uh, educational programs, uh, yeah, etc. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so so that was it. We went in, and um, uh, I tell you, our first one is we went in mission to Mars. We said, okay, let's prepare rockets. We designed rockets to aerodynamics. There was a girls' class, a boys' class. I was actually teaching in that. We finished the. Um, the lesson and then there was a competition we launched those rockets now those rockets were launched with a water you know a pepsi two liter pepsi bottle and you press on it and 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 the rocket flies once you've designed it and the, the enthusiasm when we were competing the boys class against the girls class was, was phenomenal they were excited and even i was uh, really surprised when these rockets flew 40 meters wow. uh, distance and we marked it and honestly you saw how how amazed these children were um, how passionate they were. Um, I saw it and personally, and we became much more involved then and took the program further, year two, year three, year four. And what we do is now we sit with the educational consultants, we come up with a program, we sit with the schools, we decide which, which year groups are the most uh, uh, suitable, what can we do, what can we teach them. But it's again, all designed about STEM because all data tells you like, um, uh, you read lots of data, but yeah. one of it is STEM is, you know, jobs relating to STEM are growing at 40% a year, whereas normal jobs are growing at about 3 to 4%. Tarek, I'm, I'm so sorry I've got to stop you. I've got a minute late for the news and you're so interesting, but unfortunately I'm going to get into terrible trouble with the programmers here. Uh, but it sounds like the most amazing program. I've just checked out online uh, if, you look at, uh, if you look up iMatter uh, and it's a brilliant initiative, so well worth checking that out if you're involved in a school here. Uh, Tarek, thank okay. you so much for your time. I really, thank really you. appreciate thank it. You, this is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there and a very warm welcome back to the show. Uh, right on the programme for the next hour, we are going to be discussing a hot topic. Uh, basically, it is our chance to put the spotlight on all the headline uh, all the headlines, all the education headlines from the week. And this story has serious implications for our children's schools. Uh, basically, Dubai's population has hit a 3.5 million mark. That means we've had 100,000 new residents between the end of 2020 and April 2022. That's according to the Dubai Statistics Centre. And just recently, the KHDA, which manages uh, Dubai's private schools, said that they've seen an increase of 5% in students, exceeding 300,000, which is already an unprecedented number. Now, as this upward trend continues, so the demand will increase for schools and quality teachers. 
Now, Georgia, all well and good, but the problem is uh, Dubai is competing with the rest of the world when it comes to recruiting educators. And UNESCO figures from 2016 already showed that nearly 69 million new teachers were needed to provide quality universal primary and secondary education by the year 2030. So now, that's the reason we're discussing this. We're looking into how Dubai is attracting talent in the educational sector. And earlier, I spoke to Sean Robison of BBD Education. Uh, He sets up and operates schools in the Emirates and is also involved in the recruitment process. So he knows this subject very well. I asked him, how bad is the problem of teacher shortage in the Emirates? A challenge recruiting teachers. Um, it's always been a challenge because we, we compete in a global marketplace. But uh, as a result of the pandemic, shifts in, in where people live and where people work, uh, there is a huge shortage of teachers at the moment. It's a, it's a daily challenge and teachers are in the driving seat in terms of jobs and in terms of uh, packages and, and what they can demand. That would be my next question. What are schools doing to attract talent? We know that, you know, traditionally they would throw in housing, some perks, discounts in uh, certain establishments, discounts for their kids to be enrolled in the schools they're working at. Um, are there other additional benefits that they're offering these teachers? Yes, so we've seen a kind of return to the traditional teacher package, which you've just described. So before COVID, these packages were moving um, in the opposite direction. Things like school places and housing allowances were being reduced. Uh, Now that is moving in the other direction, simply because there's such a huge shortage. Teachers are often the ones who can move to other countries because an international teaching qualification gives you a passport to travel. So schools now are now looking at you know better packages for accommodation, better packages for school fees, and then offering things like memberships to gyms, memberships to hotels and things like that. I'm not sure if you can answer this in a nutshell, but can you give me an average salary for a teacher here? And as you said, now they have the upper hand. How much more are they asking for? How much more uh, do schools have to give them? The difficulty with uh, an average teacher salary is that in the UAE, we have some schools that are priced at 6,000 dirhams per year annually. And then we have some that are priced at 140,000 dirhams per year annually. Teacher salaries are always linked to the school fees that are being charged. And the school fees that are being charged are linked to the demand from parents uh, for that particular school. On the whole, I would say that teachers could get 10% more than what they could get before COVID in terms of actual real salary. Housing allowances have actually gone up. The rental industry has also gone up as well because there's a huge demand for housing. The only real way for that to work for operators is for further housing supply to come into the market to therefore reduce the housing packages. But for teachers, they would still be demanding a a better monthly salary because there is a global shortage of teachers. And of course, you know, teacher turnover, it's been a problem for many years. Do you see this being more prevalent now as more teachers look for better contracts in other schools? And What's being done about it? Teacher turnover is a huge risk. Countries around the world are incentivizing their teachers who work abroad to move back home. Um, And they're doing this because in a lot of countries, there is learning loss of students. For example, in the UK, teacher training applications have been down nearly 10% every year for the last five years. Um, And there's been a shortage of teachers and also teachers leaving the industry because of workload pressures. Countries like the UK and Ireland are incentivizing teachers to move home. Uh, which therefore puts greater pressure on schools here in the UAE and elsewhere. Personally, I think the regulations around workplace learning, they need to catch up with the reality of of the situation. Um, There's a huge opportunity here in the UAE of people who aren't working or who who could offer uh, support part-time. There's a huge population of mums here who are highly qualified 
but have decided to uh, remain at home to look after the children. And it's this type of untapped workforce that we could really benefit from. And if schools had the ability to award qualified teacher status in school as a qualification and not as a prerequisite, then this would really help solve the problem here in the UAE. That's a really good idea. Are schools uh, at least talking about that? Or I know schools are working closely with the KHDA. Is that uh, something that's at least on the table? Yes, schools would love to be able to do that. There are specific regulations in in place regarding qualifications that are a a barrier at the moment because you have um, highly qualified people who might not have a first degree in maths or science or English, for example. Their first degree might be in criminology but they might be a very good teacher and they might be out of work at the moment. And that's where the huge opportunity is because these people are generally qualified graduates from from their home countries um, and they can make a huge difference here in the sector. So it's that type of of person, that type of workforce that I would be looking to enable. And what do schools here need to do to retain their teachers? Um, Packages are one thing, but I think more than anything, workload and well-being are top of the agenda. Um, Teachers have been frontline workers during the pandemic. And as a result of the pandemic, teachers have done a huge amount of cover for their colleagues who've been off sick as a result of the pandemic. So they've continued to work all the way through and they've they've done an incredible job switching to online learning. Um, And the role of teachers in in society should be elevated as a result of this. But at the same time, because of this, there there is fatigue. Um, And we can't just go back to the old way of working where the teacher just uh, has a a huge workload and a pylon of of burdensome marking. We have to enable teachers through smart use of technology. We have to recognize their well-being um, and we have to we have to change how we work and, and approach education as a whole. Hopefully that happens very soon. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is the population increase. We've seen more students than ever um, and we've seen uh, the population in Dubai grow and demographics are also changing. Do you know where these new arrivals are coming from? These new families are coming from? That would determine the kinds of teachers we need here. I think we've all seen because Dubai has been open for business and, and carefully managed the return to work and, and business during the pandemic. Globally, we've been seen as a model of best practice of how to manage uh, you know, those two very difficult things. So I think we've seen a lot of people look at Dubai and look at the UAE as a destination now that previously didn't look uh, perhaps at the Middle East at all. And then we've also seen um, a shift back uh, of parents who moved back to India and the Southeast, have moved back to the, to the UAE now. So we've seen a lot of inward traffic from Southeast Asia and a lot of uh, inward traffic from European countries as well because of the nature of, of the UAE, which has this entrepreneurial spirit to, to keep things moving. And finally, the problem of teacher shortage and teacher turnover. Do you see an end to this soon or uh, we'll have to endure this for a few more years? Um, I think in the short term, we're going to endure this, uh, but I really hope we're able to find a solution and, and to tap into this workforce that is available here in the UAE. Um, and I think we need to think outside of the traditional boundaries of where we recruit teachers from. Uh, there needs to be a blurring of boundaries between the workplace and education. We need to see that people in the workplace can navigate and move between schools and back into the workplace. And so to see education and teaching like we see every other career for teachers, that might be difficult because a lot of people look at it as a, as a noble profession, and I'm not questioning that, but what I would say is that we, we need to look beyond that and to tap into all the available resources that we have, and hopefully the regulators will enable that so that we can benefit from those people. That was Sean Robinson of BBD Education. He sets up schools, he operates them, he gets teachers for them, and one of his suggestions is getting people who are, you know, who don't necessarily have a teacher's license, train them, and uh, train them to become teachers. Really? 
my goodness, I need to put my microphone up. Can you tell I haven't had my coffee yet? Uh, that's a really interesting uh, point. Uh, and I think that considering the fact that this problem is set to continue, uh, that's according, I was very proud of myself. I found an, o, an OECD report this morning, an Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development report, which is fine that not only is there a problem with uh, a supply of teachers at the moment, but it's going to be a future problem as well, because there is a decline in the number of pupils aged 15 who said they wanted to be teachers. And education experts say that the high cost of training and a lack of incentives is deterring school children from becoming teachers. I have to say, it's never up there on the list as, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, you know, astronaut, footballer, influencer. No one says school teacher, do they? No, not a lot. But I think it also involves, you know, a lot of uh, admin work. We've tackled that before. And, you know, who wants a lot of admin work? You just want to be able to, uh, you know, practice your passion, which is teaching. I'm amazed at people that have a passion for teaching. I could, I don't know whether I could do it. I don't think think you should put me in a classroom with large groups of children for any length of time. I've got the patience of a gnat. And crazy eyes. Crazy you always eyes. say I've got crazy eyes. I do. <laughs> In fact, we found a picture of me with crazy eyes today that Zena's going to make us a screensaver because there's nothing she likes more than thinking about me when she's at home resting with her family and her children. Enjoying my weekend. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Welcome back to the programme. Now, uh, we're discussing a global shortage of teachers uh, and the fact that it does seem to be impacting us here in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, I'm joined on the line by Jeff Evans. Now, he's the principal of the Global English School in Al Ain, and he says that he has seen this problem grow over the last few years. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the line and on Microsoft Teams. Hello. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Uh, how are things in Alain? Great, busy at the moment, but uh, obviously with, with Ramadan and, uh, you know, uh, examinations coming up, it's a busy time. But yeah, all good. Going well. Fantastic. It's lovely to have you on the radio. Now, you've been very vocal in the past uh, on the subject of teacher shortages. Is this something that you have experienced at your school? Certainly in, in recent years, there's been quite a significant change to recruitment because of COVID. But I've been, you know, working with different schools here in the region for about 12 years. So I've recruited for, you know, senior leadership and teaching posts. So it's definitely changed um, in, in various ways, actually, since around 2010. 2010. Why is that? What happened in 2010 that changed the sort of the change, the, the Rubicon? Traditionally, I think there's been, you know, there have been various factors in the in the education market in the UAE. Um, obviously, growing number of schools. More recently, with uh, with COVID, what we've seen is is more recruitment locally. So a little bit less flexibility in the last two years recruiting teachers from overseas. So that's put increased pressure on schools within the country. I mean, there are around about 200 private schools in Abu Dhabi, for example, Emirate of Abu Dhabi. I think there are less in Dubai. But once those teachers are in the system, once they're in the pipeline, what happens is that they will gain experience, they'll move from you know, one curricula to another, and there is increasing demand or there's perhaps more demand for certain schools and certain curricula. You know, obviously, as a teacher, the desire is to move up and to secure better packages. So whether that's within the same school, if you get the chance for internal promotion, you know, to move from teaching roles to becoming a head of department or a, you know, perhaps in the senior leadership team, that's fine. But what's happened in the last perhaps five or 10 years is there's been 
quite significant change in terms of the number of teachers moving from one school to another, which tends to be, you know, in June, it tends to be at the end of the academic year between uh, school years, that's fine. But what, what is a challenge for schools is if teachers jump in the middle of the year, you know, at winter break or spring break, it's very difficult then to find replacements for those staff. Oddly enough, I remember that happening at my school. Um, the teacher for one of my son's classes left. And honestly, the sort of parent fury that, that, that the stability wasn't being kept was was quite extreme. I know I was a bit more relaxed about it because, um, well, we had other things going on. But, but I know that lots of teachers find that very disruptive. I mean, I suppose because we are an expat population here, we have to expect that our teachers are also going to be fairly transient. I suppose back in 2010, this was considered a hardship posting. I can't imagine it is now. I can't imagine we'd struggle to get teachers to come from rainy Britain, for example, to come and work here. Definitely not. There's there's very much a pipeline. You know, some of the schools here have quite high percentages of teachers from, you know, countries like Ireland, South Africa, obviously the UK and America. Um, what's happened as well, I think, is there's been, you know, in the, certainly in the past few years, there's been a little bit of a, a change if you take a typical expat teacher or international teacher, let's say somebody from, from the UK or from uh, New Zealand or America, some of the packages over in the Far East are becoming more attractive because obviously the cost of living is lower there. So as we've seen the cost of living increase, particularly in Dubai, I think, there have been, um, you know, I wouldn't like to put a percentage on it, but there's certainly been a, a little bit of a trend for teachers to move to places like Malaysia or Thailand or China because the salaries may be slightly less, but the cost of living is significantly lower. But just within the UAE, you know, there'll be a typical pattern for teachers is to work at a school, get experience, and then try and move for better packages. So this is a challenge. You know, my school is um, is towards the lower end of the fee spectrum here in Alain um, and in the UAE. So it's difficult for us because our teachers will will seek to, to move on. Sometimes it's for salary, but other times, it, you know, other factors include things like location. So... Uh, you know, some of the schools will struggle to keep teachers if they want to be in the bright lights, the big city of Dubai or Abu Dhabi. You know, Alain and the Northern Emirates are less attractive. But it could be other things. It could be housing allowance. You know, some schools give housing. They'll actually allocate housing. Some don't give any allowance. And others will give a, a very generous allowance, cash in hand, which teachers can spend if they want to, they can spend on the housing. If they want to, they can spend on cars or other things. So there's a whole range of factors that affect it. I mean, in Dubai at the moment, we've just heard about this freeze on school fee increases. Uh, is there a similar situation in Alain? Because obviously that will naturally have a knock-on effect for the amount of money that schools have to then pay their teachers. It has. And I think the other regulators as well, you know, Sharjah, Spear and ADEC in Abu Dhabi, what's happened in COVID is most schools have actually offered discounts on fees as well as fee increase um, suspension. So they're trying to offer increased value for money to parents and again you know there's a lot more competition than there used to be five years ago for for student places so you know especially perhaps in the premium fee market um you know all these new schools continuing to open in dubai especially more and more you know very high fee premium fee schools obviously for a new school coming in what are they doing differently so there's increased competition for students as well as staff so it's it's quite a tough time for operators and for investors at the moment not necessarily a bad thing. Um, <laughs> that may not be well received, but that's, you know, if it's providing better value for money and better competition for parents who are the customers, then that perhaps that's, you know, that's welcome. Because is, the market is, 
to some extent in some in some sectors of the private school market there's saturation definitely so the other thing that's happened you know is you see teachers trying to move up in terms of um, better salaries and better packages parents and families in some cases have done the opposite so that I think the mid the mid fee or the high fee range have, have benefited as, as parents seek you know better value for their their investment in their child's education now is the reality that that teacher shortages only exist at schools that can't pay decent salaries or can't pay top I mean top draw salaries or offer the incentives are there always teachers available for those top tier schools they certainly find it easier to recruit yeah you know there's there's no doubt but obviously they're they're looking to recruit very specific teachers so those premium fee schools will only consider teachers generally they'll only consider teachers with the qualifications experience and background that that 100% meet their their criteria if they can find them but again you know premium fee schools if a teacher leaves suddenly in the middle of the year for a, a family emergency be that genuine or not because that's often the story um, you know they need to find a teacher at short notice now if that's a French teacher or design technology or a subject is perhaps less available less common it's, it's not easy to find so they may then need to find need to recruit teachers who perhaps they wouldn't you know wouldn't origin wouldn't genuine generally be um, first or second choice. So it's a complicated it's a complicated structure, but the regulators certainly are trying to minimize movement during the year. But, you know, inevitably, as with other professions, if, if there's an emergency, a teacher has to go, they have to go. So uh, Very, um, very quickly, I've only got 30 seconds. I haven't even got 30 seconds. Can you okay. see this problem ending anytime soon? Yes, there's, with the relaxation now of travel and restrictions and, you know, vaccinations, etc., it should be significantly better this year than it was previously. But teacher turnover is a challenge for schools because you invest in training and development, so you want to retain the teachers for as long as possible. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate you talking to time there. It's something that I haven't even learned how to do yet. Uh, Jeff Evans, uh, the principal of the Global English School in Alain, thank you so much for your time and insights. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, have a very good weekend to you too. Fascinating discussing uh, the subject of the global shortage of teachers and how it's impacting us here in the United Arab Emirates. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom, now accepting applications from FS1 to Year 7. Hello there. Welcome back. Now, uh, each week I say this uh, because it is my my favourite segment of the week and is the one where we normally travel abroad to talk to the teacher or the head teacher or the principal of a school that's located somewhere super unusual. Like we've gone to the jungle, uh, we've gone to the desert, we've gone to the bush, uh, we've gone to all sorts of different places to talk to teachers about their different style of education and their different style of classroom. But today we wanted to do something a little bit different uh, because we are going to discuss uh, how you can involve animals in education uh, and we are talking about what happens in a classroom we're just talking it's just not one classroom it's several classrooms and instead of traveling abroad they are the classrooms here in the united arab emirates because i'm joined on the line by carolyn thompson uh, who is the founder of the animal agency and reading dogs and she joins me now on microsoft teams and we're also live on facebook so thank you so much for joining us hi there Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Carolyn. How are you doing? You're cutting through. I've just realised that, of course, I should have asked Zena whether or not you could bring a pet, whether you could bring one of the dogs on screen. But maybe that would have made for a little bit more of a sort of rushed or loud interview. 
Oh, I would have loved to. I'm sure they would have loved the screen time as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit more about your project because it's it's slightly unexpected in many ways because it might not be something um, that you would expect here in the United Arab Emirates. But um, I know you do take actual dogs into classrooms here in the UAE? Um, so we launched Reading Dogs back in 2017. We have, we've now got 24 specially trained dogs that we take into schools and nurseries and educational facilities around the UAE. We also have a happiness dogs teams that we take into special educational needs centres and hospitals. Um, I mean, That sounds like like such a wonderful idea. And oddly enough, when my son was in hospital in Great Ormond Street in the UK, uh, a dog used to come in and visit him. And I know how it it lifts the mood, it lifts the boredom, and and they absolutely love it. And I can imagine it must have the same effect in schools here. But what's the... But they might love it, and and it's really sweet, but what's the educational benefit? So, um... It's actually classed as animal-assisted education. So there's been a lot of research into it, and in particular with reading, having a dog or an animal in the school setting has been shown to increase reading fluency between 12 and 30%. The reason is, it well, it makes it fun, so the children are looking forward to the reading session, but it also removes a lot of the pressure that comes with reading aloud or reading in a class setting, Children feel like they're reading to the dog instead of reading to their peers. Um, that dog's not judging them. It's encouraging them. It's not going to laugh or, or try and stop them. So it's all about encouragement and, and making them want to read and practice more. And that's especially beneficial in the UAE, sorry, the UAE where you have so many nationalities, all who have different um mother tongues and and languages where perhaps reading in English doesn't come come as easily to them as to others. I mean, it just sounds like such a genius initiative. How does your, how is your day structured? You know, if you're going into a school, do you have partners that you go into regularly or do people just ring and say, look, we'd love to do a reading with dog session today? Oh, it's a mix of both, really. So pre-COVID, we ran about 18 sessions a day and we had regular sessions with schools. So we had partners that we went to week on, week out, and that would be to run in-class sessions, after-school activities, um, one-off sessions. So we do a lot, obviously, around book day and World Read Aloud Day. Um, But we do one-on-one sessions. A lot of schools use it as a reward system for good readers, or they might bring us in at the start of the term and then ask the children to practice their reading throughout the term. And the same dog comes back at the end to check how their reading's improved. Um, So it it does vary a lot from school to school in in terms of the objective of the the teacher in that school. So you've got 24 specially trained dogs are they big dogs are they small dogs what what, and and how do you guarantee the personality so they are all different sizes and breeds i think our largest one is we've got quite a few labradors that are quite sizable and then our smallest ones are little we've got two little maltese um that are tiny oh and millie the pug she's probably the the smallest one she's my favorite (laughs) she loves getting into the children's laps and just cuddling um so it's all about finding 
the dog with the right um, personality, the right traits, um, rather than a particular breed. So we do an initial assessment day with them and we have a vet there, our animal behaviourist, our team, a trainer, um, and we look at which dogs would suit this type of work. And then they enter into a training program that can take up to three months. So both them, the, the dog and the handler goes through that program and then they're qualified as a, a reading dog and they can start working um, and delivering sessions in schools. And is it a bit like police dogs? Are they sort of bonded with one trainer and, and they live with that trainer? Um. So all our dogs live in homes, so they're owned by an owner or a family and they live with that individual. And it's that owner that's also been through the training program and brings them into school. Um, They're not, it's not as um, bonded as, like you said, um, police dogs. So we can take, we can mix it up. So I can take other people's dogs in because I've worked with them and we have some knowledge of, of the program and their training. So what's so lovely about this is it's not just about helping children read, which is a a fantastic thing for them to do, but you also use the dogs as therapy dogs. Can you explain a little bit how that works? Yeah, sure. So um, August last year, we started taking the dogs into Al Jalila Children's Hospital, and that was to meet a number of their outpatients. And it was just to bring a, a fun element to it and to relieve stress both for the children and for the parents that are that have been attending there um there's a lot of social and emotional benefits that come with spending time with a dog even just things like stroking a dog releases oxytocin in the brain which is the kind of feel-good chemical um so that's all part of the therapy um, with our happiness dogs program we go into special needs centers so we've worked with rashid center the special needs foundation and also the developing child center and we go in and those sessions are all about developing the animal and human bond so all the social and emotional benefits that come from that but also um, they can improve communication skills, um, very simple things like we give the children options of whether they want to touch the dog. So it's quite sensory as well. So touch the dogs, stroke the dogs, practice their walking by walking with the dogs on the lead. So there, there's so many benefits that come from it outside of just education. Do you think you would work with cats as well? It's just I haven't got a dog and I'm just thinking my youngest son hates reading well it says he hates reading and I just wonder if I made him read to the cat do you think it would help oh 100% it definitely would and around the world um, these sorts of programs use all sorts of animals so rabbits um, tortoises (laughs) you can do it with I know in America they use um, a lot of camels with teenagers no not sure why but um, apparently they work well and we've got plenty of those here oh my goodness a reading camel would be (laughs) it's so (laughs) random why in America would they have a reading camel Uh, that's brilliant I imagine a reading lizard might not be quite as 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 high impact potentially although they could sort of sit on you I suppose maybe they're not as attentive Uh, (laughs) it sounds like an amazing program if people want to find out more about it what's your website it's readingdogsuae.com and our um, social media media is the same. So at Reading Dogs UAE. Fantastic. I've been uh, hearing about you guys for many years and it's lovely to finally talk to you on the radio. So thank you very much for coming on. A real pleasure. 
Thank you so much. Thank nice you. to chat to you. <laughs> See you soon. Bye. Bye. That is Carolyn Thompson, who is the founder of the Animal Agency and also Reading Dogs, giving us a little bit of a lowdown there on what it's like when they go into the classrooms. That's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.